Good afternoon. It's 4 p.m. Welcome to uh, welcome to this week's show with um, with a fantastic guest, Braxton McCoy. Braxton, thank you so much for for joining. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Well, what I wanted to do, uh, what I want to do is we're starting. It's a, a Memorial Day, and I, I want to say that I got Braxton's okay. So as not to uh, be embarrassing or anything, but I but I want all the listeners knowing everyone joining us live, and everyone who's going to be listening to our recording later. I want them to know why I wanted so much to speak with Braxton, and that's because of his um, that's because of his sensational book, The Glass Factory, which is a story um, story about lots of things, but it starts with him being seriously wounded in Iraq uh, in a bombing. And it's about his recovery. And in lots of ways, I guess it's fair to say uh, redemption, his understanding of himself and different things, just an amazing book. And um, I, I want to read uh, I want to read a brief passage because it has to do with what we commemorate this weekend. All of us Americans commemorate on Memorial Day. And it's a story about. Uh, this particular passage is about Mr. McCoy going to honor some of the um, some of the men he served with and who were killed in that explosion. Braxton, I, I have that right. Please, please correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I want to make sure I get it. I want to get yeah. this right. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah. And um, and so Braxton is is visiting Arlington National Cemetery, and I'm just going to read, and then we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll pick up with our excellent conversation. But again, I just I want everyone to know what a sensational book this is. And um, so please go out and get it. When we reached the sign that said Section 60, I did not want to stop anymore. Braxton, you should probably take a break here. Don't overdo it. No, I am okay, I responded, sweat pouring from my face. When we were inside Section 60's boundaries, it must have taken us another hour to reach Sergeant Can's graveside. Along with the slow pace we traveled due to my fatigue and weakening pain threshold, I read nearly every headstone I walked by on the way, each one adding more time and new significance to the journey but also giving me a little more fuel to feed the desire to remain erect. Every step was miserable. Pain radiated from my hips to my knees. The agony had grown so immense that several times I thought that I might throw up because of it, but we never gave up. I trudged every torturous pace of that march out of respect for Sergeant Can and the 250,000 four fallen warriors he lay with. When we finally reached his graveside and read Adam Lee Can, Sergeant, U.S. Marine Corps, January 25, 1982, January 5, 2006, BSM, WV, Purple Heart, Operation Iraqi Freedom, <clears throat> I lowered myself to a knee and wept. Not because of the pain I was experiencing, but because I had the nerve, the flat-out audacity to complain about it. These hundreds of thousands of heroes had given their lives to, pr to provide me with a safe place to recover, and all I had thought about up to that point was how hard my time had been. Whatever I had given in service to my country and my brothers paled in comparison to what they had done. Who was I to feel sorry for myself? Who was I to complain about my situation? I was above ground. There was not a soul laid to rest in that holy shrine who would not have gladly taken my place if they could have. It became clear to me in that moment that I really did have nothing to complain about. And every time I did complain, it should be seen as a slap in the face to far better men than I will ever be. When I had finished paying my final respects to Sergeant Can and the men immediately surrounding him, I stood up on both canes and began my long walk out of the cemetery. A brand new sense of urgency to recover, a newfound pool of motivation to draw from. I was going to beat this thing. I was going to fight to take back my life again, not just because I wanted to, but because I had to, because they couldn't. Well, I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, I don't know about the listeners, but I, I, I know that when I've read an amazing piece of writing, an amazing piece of literature, I, just, you know, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm shaking and I'm deeply moved. 
So Braxton, thank you for writing that. Uh, the whole book is amazing. That passage is especially moving. I read it again and again and again. So thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. If you could, um, if you could describe the book a little bit, especially for, you know, for folks who are going to be tuning in who who haven't read it yet. Yes, if you could take us from the. There's so much I want to cover with you, but again, if you could, if you could take us from the, uh, from the events that uh, that led to the book to the book. Yeah. Uh, so I um, we I when I get we I get hit by a suicide bomber uh, on January 5th of 2006. We had we were providing security for a marine element that was recruiting Iraqis to become police officers, Iraqi police officers, uh, and it, it had been it was supposed to be a three day mission, and it ended up getting extended and. So on the fourth day, everybody knew it was, you know, and we'd got, we'd had rockets shot at us the day before. So it was, I mean, it had kind of been, it, it was, the writing was on the wall. Everybody knew it was going to be a pretty rough day. And, um, then, uh, Sergeant Can was a dog handler. His, he and his dog Bruno were out there with us trying to help get the crowd under control. And his dog Bruno, uh, located a suicide bomber and the guy detonated and killed Sergeant Can and Bruno lived uh, surprisingly enough, but, uh, Sergeant Can and Colonel Mack, they both got killed. Uh, and then uh, see there's, I think four, four soldiers and Marines that got wounded on top of that, or maybe five. I can't remember the exact numbers now. Um, and then, like, the total casualty was, like, 110 people either killed or wounded. It was a pretty big explosion. So then I was, in the time of the passage you're reading here, mm -hmm. I was recovering at, at Walter Reed, and I had just gotten rods put in my legs. I, before that, I'd been on these things called external fixators. It's like almost looks like a metal metal cage. Uh, kind of like in a halo around your your bones and so I'd just gotten those out and that was the at Arlington that was the first time I'd actually really walked I mean I'd you know done the parallel bars in PT a little bit but I'd never really walked anywhere and um it was I I think the the driving force behind getting up especially on that day was it was definitely kind of the the realization that I'd been living in a sort of petty narcissism mm. and that I needed to to quit being uh, a jerk essentially and and just take life as it comes you know and I think a lot of people would understand why you were in the emotional <laughs> state you were in I mean you were pretty badly wounded and in addition to everything else in addition to yeah whatever emotional whatever emotional toll the the attack and the suicide bomb attack had taken yeah lee and also you know i don't i don't want to get into any wine fest but um i i also think you can the, a lot of this stuff can be laid as far as emotional issues can be laid at the feet of narcotics you know, you're on, um, in a situation like that, you're essentially like a heroin addict. You, you know, I'm just on copious amounts of opioids all day. And I think that really, really screws up your brain chemistry wow. too. Um, I mean, I know when I came off of opioids, I felt like a different person. Like I was back hmm. to, it's almost, it's almost like in, uh, like in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings book when that mm. whichever wizard has the king under the spell, you know. Um, mm. I think narcotics do that to us too right. and we overlook it because we're so used to taking them. How long were you on the, how long were you on, taking opioids for? A couple, couple years. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to say a year and a half, two years, uh, something like that. And... Yeah, and I so the reason I bring this up is because there really is a lot to tease out, um, mm. and when you're when you're writing as 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 you do, you know you're you start 
putting things together and then you know it helps you kind of come to some realizations that you might not have otherwise and that's one that writing that book really you know when you try to look at your life uh objectively and and put things in chronological order it 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 gets hard not to notice how big of a role something like opioids was really playing you know that's really interesting it totally makes sense i i, I you know i i wouldn't have thought about it it's very interesting yeah can we can we yeah. can i ask you about like when you decided to to start writing like when you decided to start writing the book and what was the yeah what what was the motivation sure uh i actually i started writing um clear back in I want to say 2007, but then I ended up just scrapping everything because I just was not, I just was not in a place to, I was not in a good enough place to write the book. So I scrapped mm -hmm. it and then I started writing it again in 2015. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of it was, I met my wife and, you know, or my wife and I had gotten together and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, my life was really I was back to living the way that I grew up. Uh, mm -hmm. Like my whole life had kind of finally come full circle. I was, you know, back on horses and all this kind of stuff again. Mm -hmm. And then I just felt compelled to do it. Uh, huh. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, it was almost like, you know, it was almost like being forced to do it, you know? Mm. Um, a lot of it was that I had been looking around and, you know, you think about things for years, at least if you're anything like me, think about things sometimes for months or years before you put them on paper. And uh, I had noticed that the books that were being written were from people like Chris Kyle or, uh, or mm -hmm. you know, Chief Kyle or, or Marcus Luttrell. So they were either, you know, these very heroic tales or they were kind of nonstop, uh, kind of, ah, oh man, I'm, I'm trying not to be rude, but, you know, no, no. just like whiny, right. you know, it was like, screw the government, the government did this to mm -hmm. me, you know, it was either that or you could read Chris Kyle's book, and I just, they were not reflective of my, my peers, <laughs> you know, I was uh -huh. watching my friends come home and some were doing okay right. and some were going to jail, you know, mm -hmm. and, and yet more were committing suicide and stuff. And so I thought, mm. man, maybe I'll just, I'll just write this. Like we had one guy, uh, he got drunk and then held his, uh, you know, threatened to shoot some cops and basically committed suicide mm. by a cop and mm. it, you know, so it was like watching all of that and I just thought maybe I can contribute something that's different, put something different out there that's more reflective of just the everyday guy, you know? Right. Um, what was, I mean, what were the, I, I know that you, this is the reason you wrote the book. This is like, what was, what was missing? So I guess what, I, I guess the, on the two sides when you're talking about, you know, Chris Kyle's excellent, you know, books and stuff. Yeah. There's the heroic angle. And then there's also, you know, you're talking about the people who are, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, whining, moaning, whatever, lamenting a little too much. And you thought it's not about a middle ground, but you just thought that there was a different experience that needed to be explained or needed to be needed to be represented out there for that that. that the majority of the people or the people you knew were going through. I'm just trying to. Yeah. I, I, I felt like the whole truth was just never being said or told, mm -hmm. you know, I had, and, and obviously I'm sure I got some things wrong too. So I'm not trying to mm -hmm. claim to be the arbiter of, of truth here, but <laughs> I, I at least was making an effort, you know, um, mm -hmm. I, <clears throat> I'd had a lot of older vets would come and talk to me Vietnam and World War II era guys. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that they were saying like, maybe not the same phraseology, but they mm -hmm. were always saying the same things as us. And I'm like, man, you guys have been holding on to this for, you know, huh. 60 years, you know, um, or, what or were they, what, what were they saying? What was the kind of stuff that was saying that was resonating? Yeah. 
Yeah, like my uncle, he he was in Vietnam, and he he came up to me right when I got home, and he said, "Give it ten years, and then everything will be okay again." You know, and I wow. heard that sentiment like over and over and over from these guys. Um, maybe phrased differently, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that kind of a mentality, it's good because basically what he's saying is just keep your nose to the grindstone and mm-hmm. it'll sort itself out. But I think there's some value there, mm-hmm. but if we're still, you know, we've been through our country, uh, like it or not. And I don't, our country likes to go to war a lot. So mm-hmm. this is something we're, you know, we're going to continue to deal with and we're still talking about the effects of post-traumatic stress right you know 50 or 60 years later then someone's got to try to dive into it and um and i'm not a neuroscientist obviously Mm -hmm. or a psychologist or any of this but um i figured maybe i could just try to tell the truth as best as i could and Mm -hmm. see if if maybe that would you know help and the best part for me of this whole experience has been in the last two years or so, I've had a lot of people reach out and say, man, your book really helped me, uh, which is, that's great. it's great. That's, it really is a really good feeling. Um, so yeah, I think that like, that was kind of the, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily the catalyst, but I, I do think mm-hmm. that that was part of the underlying motivation was, you know, contribute somehow to helping guys figure out their own mental states you know well let me ask you i mean that's pretty profound give it 10 years and it'll work itself out and um i mean that's that's a that's a that's a long that's a long period of time especially for young people you know especially for young men who are going to war and it's like well you know um, god bless you and you'll god bless you and we hope to come out of it okay and and assuming you do then you have 10 years to work on some pretty serious, some, some pretty serious stuff. Your mind and body is going to be sorting out. And that's, that's pretty profound lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You can, and you can screw up a lot of your life in 10 years too. You yeah. Know? Um, and to your point, you know, you're 20 years old over there. That's most guys over there are around 2022. 20, and right. I mean, it's half of their lifetime. You know? Right. Uh, and it's, the time, just... it's the time when a lot of people are uh, finding their finding wives, uh, having yeah. having you know finding yeah. their wives, having children. It's like so those ten years are. I don't know. It's interesting. It makes me think. Also, I was looking at one of the uh, one of the nice blurbs on the back of the book talking about Homer and talking about the Odyssey. Because actually thinking about it, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think it's eighteen years that. Uh, that Odysseus is away from his family. But I mean, is that kind of, without without being too pretentious here, but is that sort of what it felt like? Like you had this long, this long passage that you had to undertake before you got back to where you, I don't know, where you understood things again? It, it felt, yeah. And as you say, like, I'm not, um, not proclaiming to be Odysseus or Achilles or anything here, but uh, it did. Um, when, when my, uh, friend wrote that blurb, it really <clears throat> struck me because <clears throat> I, you know, I even, uh, this, this think like even the sirens, right. Um, a lot of us tend to party and, uh, uh, behave, uh, <clears throat> in ways that I think are, uh, immoral. And we know it as per- particularly with girls you know you're just sleeping around and all this kind of stuff and i think Mm -hmm. that rots your soul Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's corrupting and uh well you know and i did i did plenty of that and this is something Mm -hmm. i've been been open about and so yeah when he wrote that it really it really did uh hit me because i thought man did i crash my ship on the rocks when i Mm -hmm. you know maybe i could have got through it five Mm -hmm. years or so sooner if i'd uh just wisened up. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably true. I probably could have. Well, what, what got you, what got you to where you are now? In addition to writing the book, talked about your, you know, talked about meeting your, meeting your wife, 
your family. So what were the things that, that got you through it? Not got you through it, but got you to where you are now. Uh, um, an author, uh, a rancher, um, you know, successful, successful guy, a good guy. How'd you, how'd you get through it? Uh, honestly, it was just making, it was making a firm decision uh, that I was just going to start being better and start looking for God. And that led mm. me down, that led me down a totally different road, especially when it comes to women. I, I stopped, mm. I started every time I would meet a girl, I just, the only focus I had is would this person be a good mother? I just started viewing mm. it that way. Oh. Um, and that changed my dating pool and, you know, I mean, just all these small incremental changes over time. And then, you know, now I'm married with four kids, you know, happily. And, um, Congrats. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful life. We're definitely not wealthy people, but I see my kids all day, every day, you know, when I'm not working and, you know, so life, it's it's really kind of a, a picturesque life for me, and we're happy. And it starts, it definitely starts with making, you know, I don't want to tell anybody what they have to do religiously, mm. but it, it you have to, you just have to make the decision that you're going to be better. It's mm. really, it's really, that's what it is. And for me, I, I don't have enough of an ego, I guess, to behave the way that I should for my own sake. So God was a good motivator for me, um, mm -hmm. among other things, you know, but just trying to hold yourself to a higher standard. Um, it really led down and being able to exercise physically again, that was another uh -huh. huge thing that I think you really can't underestimate the, right. the power of it. Um, well, it's, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, early in the book and the, the first third, I guess it is when you're talking about, you know, your life before you joined the service, you're talking about all the different things you're doing, uh, riding, boxing, climbing, all the different things you're doing. And then, uh, yeah, that just seemed to be such a central part of your, of your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It w I was crushed for a while when I thought mm. I was never going to be able to hunt again. And, um, you know, hunting out here is all in the mountains. Like we don't, there's, we don't sit in, I'm, you know, I'm not criticizing the way other people hunt, right. but we don't, we don't sit <laughs> in stands, you know? Uh -huh. Um, so it, it really hunting, you know, elk hunting, especially with my bow, I'm a big bow hunter. Uh, wow. thought was never going to happen again. And yeah, it was crushing. And, and uh -huh. so I, I really do think that it's, um, it, it's kind of a, I don't know. I think the human I think men are a puzzle and you got to put all the pieces back together before they're whole. Mm. I don't think there's like one, there's exactly one thing that you will make someone better. You know, I, I really think it's, it's a bunch of things, you know, and it's really hard in retrospect to figure out exactly which, which mm. thing changed you, you know, um, we have a tendency to do this where we'll, uh, we'll, especially as writers, where we'll try yeah. to find this, <laughs> right? Throw, you know, right. There's that one spot. Yeah, yeah. It changes. There's the one. <laughs> right. When? Well, I mean, it's when Saul falls off the horse with a donkey going to Damascus. <laughs> like, ah, that's when it changed. But that, but that, that of course, is a, it's a wonderful narrative conceit. But in human life, it's not really how it happens. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, I think that that it's kind of all of the, it's combinatory. I think it's sort of all of those things. Um, I do, you know, you do remember certain moments, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, like the first time I was able to get up on the mountain again with my bow, I had struck out on this elk that day. And then I was just sitting on the ridge and the wind was blowing and I like everybody else kind of hate the wind. Um, I, I just can't stand it, but I was sitting up there and, it was just ripping in my face. And I remembered this poem from when I was a kid, mm. this old cowboy guy's talking about, um, he's asking God to give him a wind in his face, mm. and, you know, that a wind that cuts like a knife and all this. And what he's, mm. he's basically saying, you know, um, give me that thing that I hate <laughs> to remind mm. me that, uh, mm. I need to get my stuff together, 
you know? Huh. And that was kind of, that was kind of how I felt in, in that moment, you know, it was huh. like, this was, was being reminded that, you know, this is just one, one step in the journey, you know, mm-hmm. I gotta get yourself together. So, um, what about horses? I mean, I know that this is your, it's your, it's how you make a living. Yeah. But I mean, there's horses. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of a role did your interaction again with, with animals, especially animals like, like horses, how did that, yeah. How did that help or how did that, how did that affect your mind and your, and your body? It was huge. Uh, mm. you know, I grew up on a little horse place in Southern Utah. And, um, when I, when I was in Iraq, um, I had my horses and my old man sold one of them. And we had a little spat about that because he, mm. he said, no one, no one else can ride the idiot. <laughs> and he was kind of an <laughs> idiot. He horse liked a buck. And so he's like, I'm sick of feeding this stupid thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got home and I had to buy some more horses cause he'd uh-huh. got tired of mine. Um, and I just, I guess I hadn't really fully processed what it was going to be like. So I, I got, or no, I still had my one gray horse and then I bought a horse for my wife. That's what it was. We kept him because I, he, he was trustworthy. And, um, one day I, I climbed on, I had a real hard time getting on, but I got myself on one of my old man's horses, like a kid's horse. And we, we just took off up the we call them lanes. It's just like a road between the fields mm-hmm. and it was icy and that horse slipped. Um, mm-hmm. he spooked it. I forget what, but he spooked at something and then slipped and fell down and I knocked mm-hmm. my hip out of socket and, uh, crawling back over to get that horse. And I crawl back <laughs> on and yeah, I get home and you know, my old, old man's like, you dumb SOB, you know? And, uh, that was uh, kind of crushing for me because I, I realized that I really, really maybe can't do this anymore at the time, mm. you know, because I'd gotten hurt again, and so I had to, I had to get rid of them. I sold all my horses, and mm-hmm. then I spent about six years or so away from them, um, and. I, when I could finally run again, my old man needed some help breaking this buckskin colt. And he called me and asked me mm-hmm. if I'd come ride this horse. And I said, sure. So I went Is over this the there. first time you'd been on a horse in six years? Yeah. Or, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm well, really that, that, showed a lot, but... that showed a lot of faith in your ability. <laughs> and, I mean, it's like, well, yeah. And, I think and it's... in your willingness to try it again. Yeah, well, I think it, for him it was just he didn't want to be the one getting bucked off, you know. And, um, so, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Too. Right, here, I, here I am trying to make it into a heartwarming story. I'm like, oh, you, yeah, come on, one more chance. Like, I'm not getting on that thing. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair way to so, go. Right? <laughs> so that kind of got me back. You know, got me back going. I ended up that horse twisted up my knee pretty good. Um, mm. We got him. We got him going okay, but he twisted my darn knee up pretty good. And um, what happened? How did he twist up your knee? He just well, he bucked a little bit, and then he mm. settled down, and everything was kind of okay. And then when I went to swing off, um, as soon as my leg went over oh, to step right. down, he took off and twisted it, you know, uh, literally right. twisted it. So then I you go to the hospital and I was like, you know, while I'm in here, you might as well look at my back because my back's been mm-hmm. hurting too. And they found that I had a, an injury up at the top of my spine, like right where my uh, skull connects to the spine. It's mm-hmm. apparently my skull has been shifted because of injury. So it's putting a little bit of pressure on the spinal cord and, mm-hmm. That chiropractor is who this one was um, that I went to after for the, so I went to the doctor and then straight to the chiropractor after, mm. and the chiropractor was looking at the, uh, the neck X-rays and uh, he was like, you know, if you were to land on your head, you might be paralyzed for oh, forever, wow. you know. And wow. So then I about 
another little bit of time, six months or something, um, I didn't write anything. And then my wife mm-hmm. and I were talking and she's like, you are miserable. You just hmm. go get on some horses for heaven's sakes, you know? Yeah. So I did. Huh. And then I really, wait, to... how did she, how did she know that's what would make you happy or that <laughs> you were miserable because you were not being on horses? I think I probably complained about it all the time. Uh, okay. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, okay. I see, uh, you know. I see. So it was explicit. It was like a miserable, I'm not on horses. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like she was reading, uh, right. It wasn't she was reading your mind necessarily. Okay. No, no. And, uh, you know, I, I still sometimes dream about riding bulls. I used to ride bulls. Mm. And so I'm sure I, had you know talked about it and i know we talked about uh, bulls all the time you know especially if uh, i drank any whiskey i'd be like oh this one time <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> so so yeah then i that got back on and now that's all i do is uh ride colts so that's fantastic that is a great life it's great yeah that is wonderful do you, do you, but do you still miss riding bulls now? Oh yeah. I think about it all the time. I, <laughs> Why? What was so, as, as someone, <sighs> if you can explain to someone who's never been on a bull, why it's, uh, why it's, yeah. Wow. Why it's great, man. I, it's, I really, I think it's more of a, I, I hate to be this shallow about it, but I really think it is just the rush of it. Um, that's, I, I think there's, that's fine. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, uh, every time you think, you know, this thing could kill me, but you know, you're riding this thing that you and everyone around knows could kill you. And when you're able to get them covered, you know, it just feels, it feels really cool. Um, not so cool when they step on you and all that other stuff, but <laughs> did you get, when you, when you were riding regularly, did you get injured a lot? Yeah, we all, yeah, we all do. No. Yeah, broken ribs and <laughs> cuts and knees and bruises. And, uh, it's yeah. hard to laugh. It's just, no, man, it's... you hear, you see guys, you guys see guys coming out of a football locker room and they're, they're hurting and they're aching, but they're not getting stepped on by, they're getting stepped on by linebackers. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Those dudes are but pretty not big. By bulls. Yeah. No, um, yeah. I, I've seen some pretty bad wrecks bull riding for sure. Well, I mean, I've seen some of the exchanges. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into the ugly exchanges you've necessarily had on social media. But no, but some of the interesting things you've said is, you know, because because people are making, and I think this is kind of in line with your book, because people are, 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 are making all sorts of assessments and reassessments about Iraq, about Afghanistan. You said before that the United States like appears to like um, – appears to like engaging in, 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 in conflict frequently. Mm-hmm. So, but one of the interesting things that you said, um, um, among many others, was just about like, you know, like if, if, if you are a warrior, you, that's what you like doing. And some of the times it's about, it's about the people that you are serving with, the people you're surrounded by. And that's, that's a large part of it, not engaging not necessarily engaging in the politics. So I'm not sure if I have that right. That's oh, how I interpreted right. it. But yeah, yeah. if you can, you know, if you can, if you can elaborate and, and, and say what you meant. Yeah. And it's important to say up front here that I was not making any kind of value statement about mm-hmm. what it means to be a good man. You know, I, like I, I, the whole warrior thing and good man to me are mm. as separate as, as night and day. Mm. My father-in-law never went to war. He's one of the best men mm. I've ever met in my life. Huh. You know, so I, I definitely am not making any judgments that way. Yeah. What I was saying is that um, there are people that are born and they don't even know why that mm. they just want to do that. And when mm. a war comes, they go. It just it yeah. is that way. It's not. I'm not saying that like it's good or right. or bad. I'm just saying that it is. I I know a million of these guys, and yeah. um, and I don't even consider myself a real warrior by any stretch. Mm. But I I know a bunch of them, and they're just made in a different way. Yeah. 
that, that's all I was. Uh, that did turn <laughs> no, into that's a whole re- thing, that's re- no, that's, uh, Yeah, right. It got into politics and got into everything. <laughs> right. As you said, masculinity got into everything. No, but that is just a fascinating idea. Did you know you were like that before you got to war and you saw other people like that? It's like, oh, now I get it. Now I'm in this place where at in war where there are other people who are like me who are somehow called to this event called to this occasion or did you have a sense of that in yourself when you're you know when when you're riding bulls what was it that brought you to that realization um that really the the realization just came from talking to friends that Hmm. uh, have either gone or or were there, and you do notice it there, even in exchanges, like even in a gunfight, you notice who wants to be there and who doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. so there, there is some of that, um, and, but most of it's, you know, and I, I don't want to, by any stretch, overstate my service here, I was not some kind of special forces guy, I got in a few gunfights and then got wounded, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not Clay Martin, you know, um, or Joe Kent. Uh, so like I said, I don't want to overstate it, but I did, you do notice it. And mm-hmm. there's a sort of kinsmanship. It's beyond camaraderie that mm. comes from that. Even guys that I, I wasn't there with, we, it's like, you know, each other before you, you ever even meet. Like, um, uh-huh. one of my very, uh, very close friends has become one of my best friends. I actually met through Twitter and he never, he wasn't over there with me, but he, you know, he, he was an 82nd Airborne guy and deployed a handful of times. And um, when we met for the first time, he got off the plane and we talked, uh, you know, the, the airports in Salt Lake City is about four, mm-hmm. uh, four and a half hours from my house or so. And we uh-huh. talked nonstop from like mm-hmm. the time we left till we got home and then the entire week while we were hunting, it was just like, like a couple of hens and, you know, clucking at each other. <laughs> um, and we just, there's just something. And I, you know, I'm, I'm unfortunately not articulate enough to put my finger no, on This is fat. No, but, man, it's fascinating. Thank you for, thank you for answering a strange question. I really no, appreciate it. Yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. There's just something there and it's, yeah. it's totally real. And you notice it like right away. Um, hmm. You can talk to somebody for five minutes and tell if they're similar minded or not. And, you know, like I say, I, w- I wish uh, y- even in the the Odyssey example, mm. uh, you take like Achilles, the greatest warrior of all time or whatever. Right. And right. He is brought up training, of course, you know, since the time he's a young boy. But so were all the other guys, you know. Yeah. So how did he become Achilles? It surely wasn't just right. that training, you know. Right. It's Achilles was born Achilles. Uh, right. No, that's very interesting, right? They attribute it to the fact that, well, I, I think it was his 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 his, uh, his mother is a goddess. But this is interesting. It's like they represent that difference in terms of saying, like, yeah, well, yeah, he's just different, right? That's how they right. represent his difference. Saying, well, he's you know he's he's, he's, he's half half divine. Um, <laughs> And and what it what it what it yeah what it seems to represent is now he's he's just different from lots of these from lots of these other figures right you have the yeah. you have the you have the people who are fighting for you have the you have the Greeks who are fighting mm-hmm. and they're all distinct yeah yep yeah and they did the same kind of similar story with uh, Alexander the Great right that uh, supposedly Philip wasn't his real father or whatever right. his, his father was Zeus or something. Um, yeah. And, and Alexander is another example. I, I mean, that guy's leading armies at 25 years old, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> like, right. you're not going to put someone through a military college and have them come out Alexander. <laughs> like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Audie yeah, Murphy was... was Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was just agreeing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's so I, I, I was at the National Defense University for uh, <laughs> for a year, and, and now and now I've conquered all of Asia. Yeah, my name, <laughs> right. Ale- my name it's Alexander. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. It, it's just not a. It's just not. It's just not the way the the world works. And of course, I believe that God makes people in certain ways. Um, and you know, it's part of uh, whatever His plan that's beyond my comprehension. But it is a part of some sort of plan. I, I think Alexander uh, was as integral to this moment as as you know he was to his own. Like, huh. really? Why? 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 Why is it, why this moment? Why is he important now? Well, I, when I say that, I mean, like, I don't think you could have this moment without uh, having uh, had Alexander. I see. I see. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, well, let me ask you about, because one of the, one of our, uh, someone on, on Twitter, and I, I hope they'll, I hope they'll listen to this uh, great conversation, but they said, Hey, make sure you ask uh, Braxton about bunkhouse. So do you oh. mind talking about that a bit? I, I, I did, a, I did a little, uh, investigating into it, but not too much, but if you yeah. can explain it, cause it sounds great and really interesting. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because another thing I've been accused of is running <laughs> some right. like masculinity uh thing and uh, a drum we, circle and a drum yeah, circle and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't uh Okay. You know, we <laughs> I didn't know I didn't I didn't know this was a part of it. This is interesting. Yeah. He's yeah, running a masculinity center. <laughs> I mean, he's I literally was accused of that. Men on bulls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, that's literally what I've been accused of. And I find it funny because like, we're not sitting around reading esoteric <laughs> philosophy and like, uh, it's, yeah. we just focus on hard skills. That's it. Like, well, you know, but the thing is like, even if you were doing that, what's the problem? It's like, yeah, I don't know. Apparently some people are into it. Robert Bly, you know, Robert Bly had his drum circles and people enjoyed that. <laughs> and it's, it's not, it's not a terrible it's not it's not a terrible occasion ever for um for men to look at themselves and figure out their role and purpose and there are different there are different events that happen throughout the year throughout our individual sure. lives that remind us of these things so it wouldn't be such a bad thing even if you were but but what is it what is it that you're doing you're talking about the hard things like what what are the uh yeah we um Every every Wednesday we'll have some expert come on to cover some subject, and it's it's wide, very wide ranging. We had a guy huh. uh, last Wednesday uh, come on to teach about beekeeping, and we've had uh, um, wow, yeah, like, and I I don't keep bees, I don't know a darn thing uh. about bees, but um, the you know, and we've had medics come on and teach stop the bleed and first aid and CPR. We've had. Wow. We did four hours with uh, the guy that used to run the Special Forces uh, Sniper School. He hmm. came on and talked long-range precision and wind calls. And so we do we do these things every Wednesday, and we record them and put them up. Um, are they? Are the, they? Is it is it video? So can people watch, or are they? Or is it just is it audio? Well, so far it's all audio, but Rumble. Hmm changed their uh, well i mean it's video live you know it'll be okay. like you'll be able to oh, see right. it live yeah. but after the fact it's only stored in in digital but i yeah. rumble supposedly changed their setup so now you can so i should be able to use rumble to host the video so i'll put up videos mm -hmm. later um and yeah so so we do those every wednesday um on mondays these guys run a bible study and i just mm -hmm. participate wow. kind of and then once a month or twice a month, depending on, depending on the month, we run a in-person training. Like we, uh, we did a precision course down in Texas on my friend's mm -hmm. ranch, and then we did a. Uh, we what did What a, do you mean precision? Uh, pre Excuse precision me. rifle. Uh -huh. Wow. Okay. So yeah, we took some of these guys from not being able to shoot real well to shooting mm. eighteen-inch discs at a thousand yards, and um, wow one yeah and one weekend it was really fun and then that sounds great we did field medical course down there in texas and then we've uh we did a pistol and uh, defensive pistol rifle in tucson um we did a horsemanship fundamentals course up here in idaho God, this sounds um, great okay yeah. so wait so if you can explain to people now explain to people where they find it how they how they join 
and and who else is involved. This sounds really fantastic. I'm 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 glad whoever it was on Twitter who gave me a heads up. I'm glad <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, me too, because I'm, I'm glad to be able to clear the air on this. But um, <laughs> well, it's, it's 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 important for you to promote it. I, I don't think you have to worry about clearing the air so much. <laughs> but well, it, it is kind of fun. It's like they're just you know you know man. I mean, it's just horsemanship and 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 and, and, and marksmanship and 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 you know me- medical stuff. It's not a yeah. It's not the drum circle. It's not no. I. It's not people taking I going to Latin America for ayahuasca. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was actually thinking of that exact example. Yeah, oh. that's that's. I I have a friend in our. We used to be close. He does stuff like that. God bless him. I'm sorry for the interruption. No, no, that's, that's okay. Uh, yeah, um, you uh, you can go to bunkhouse dot dot com. We have it mm-hmm. under a subdomain right now, and okay, check it out there and um. Yeah, I mean, I took some guys hunting. I took three different vets hunting, mm-hmm. or no, two 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 different vets, and then a, a civilian guy hunting uh, over the last ten days. I got another one coming on wow. Monday. You know, um, is, so, yeah. is it is it with a crossbow or or rifles or what? The, this this is uh, bear season, so they'll be hunting uh-huh. with with rifles. Um, mm-hmm. But in the fall, be doing a lot of bow hunting. Um, uh-huh. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I've got a CQB course, uh, next month in Utah that they're going to. So CQB is close quarters battle. It, uh-huh. It's like, it's like room clearing stuff. It's really just uh-huh. learning how to shoot faster is essentially uh-huh. what the, what the course will be. But yeah, we, and we provide, you know, as long as we have the funds for it at the, and we have so far, we provide mm-hmm. all the meals, all you know we put them up in an airbnb you know we take take care of everything so because we know like the the everyman it's pretty expensive Mm -hmm. to fly somewhere do do people i mean do people pay to do it or you raise funds for people to go wow yeah yeah we don't charge so that's that's like winning the lottery yeah yeah that's so they it's great well they pay for a monthly ten uh, fifteen dollars a month, but then they don't pay wow. for any anything else. Like when they get there, they don't have to pay an instructor's fee or any anything wow. like this. So. You mean that you pay fifteen dollars monthly to sign up for Clubhouse, but then if you get to go to the thing, you yep, that's right. Wow. Yeah. And so you and do you apply to say you'll apply to go to one of these courses? Yep. I mean, of, of course. I mean, not everyone has ten days to you know travel and then go on things. So. Yep. Maybe it's not a thousand people who are signing up for everything, but yep, we send them. Uh, we we just send an email as soon as the course is posted, mm-hmm. and then people email if they want to go, and then we get them on the list. And then when it's full, it's full. Um, so far, it's worked out. Worked yeah, out this sounds good. this sounds fantastic. So, did you start this on your own, or did you start it with a few other people, or? Uh, uh, my friend Lafayette Lee helped me. Oh, okay. We, we've had yeah. him here, right? Yep. Yep. Wow. Great guy. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. He helped me. And then, uh, another friend of mine, the one I was telling you about was the 82nd airborne guy. He helped me with all uh, the tech and, um, uh, cause I can't build a website. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then my, uh, other friend has helped, uh, with the tech yeah. stuff too. Well, uh, so how did you come up with the idea? What was your, what was your thought behind it? Me and Lee were talking, it had to be 18 months ago now, Hmm. we were talking one night, and I was working on my house doing something, and we got talking about our grandfathers, and Hmm. then how it was such a shame that the Boy Scouts had gone to crap, Mm -hmm. and um, we were talking about how nice it would be to have something that was not just a masculinity thing. Uh, right. for men where they could, you know, come and sometimes bring their kids. And, um, like the horsemanship one, we had people bring their kids. And oh, so, wow. That's great. Um, and yeah, and we got talking about it and then we were like, well, hell, why don't we just do it then? <laughs> like, why don't we just put yeah. it together? And so, wow. What a great <laughs> idea. Um, what, how, how many people do you have subscribed now? Um, 300, like oh, 300, wow. three, 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 maybe. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's about 320 and 
Yeah, and I, a bunch of them have said to me, and this is not me shilling. It's uh, just really what it's, a bunch of them have said. Man, it's it's this has been worth it to me just for the Wednesdays. The amount of information they get. That's great. Um, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna sign up for sure. This sounds fantastic. Well, you should wow. come to one. For well, sure. I'd I'd like to. Um, that sounds really great. Well, so what are the what are the other? Are you are you working on another book as well? I know you've you've yeah. obviously got a lot. Uh, a lot on your hands between, between you know, horses, between your work and between clubhouse, yeah. and um, yeah. But what 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 uh, what else do you have planned? Uh, I have been working on another book for a long time. Fantastic, um, that's great. I hope it'll be. I hope it'll be good. This one uh, just focusing on essentially what I where I think. Just focused on what it meant to be American like 50 years ago and how we came to believe that. Uh-huh. Uh, because I, I truly think that America, as we know it, was born on the plains, not in, hmm. in necessarily in the Revolutionary War. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I think that's all part of it. But if you think right. of like the American spirit, uh, if you ask someone to define it, it's all going to be about grit and perseverance and all that kind of, you know, that right. like, these are the type of adjectives they're going to use. And, um, sure you had that Valley Forge and, and all that kind of thing. But if you look at what those, just those families did crossing right. the plains, I, I mean, it's just remarkable. I, I have a, uh, one of my brothers lived out in, uh, close to Salt Lake City for a few years. And I went out there and visited. And I barely knew the story of the Mormons. And it's just, I mean, it's what those guys did. How they, uh, I mean, regardless of what, you know, just, <laughs> I mean, just their move from New York to Illinois yeah. and then to Salt Lake City in hand carts. I mean, man, that is just amazing. Amazing. Crossing the high plains of Wyoming yeah. in the in the winter with a freaking right. hand cart. I mean, yeah. And the high plains of Wyoming, for anybody that doesn't know, that. I mean, it's in the flat sagebrush areas. It can be 7,000 feet above sea level. I mean, it's amazing that they did that. Yeah. In fact, I read about a young girl just here a couple months ago. She, her parents saved up as much money as they could to send her over with the Mormons to try to get her to Mm -hmm. Utah. She was eight years old Mm -hmm. and she got as far as St. Louis and Mm -hmm. she was working for this Mormon family for you know, food and board and saving up. And then eventually that Mormon family just said, um, we'll just take you, but you're going to have to walk. And so she walked from St. Louis to Salt Lake um, wow. with no shoes. I mean, just amazing. Wow. Okay. So I see your point, right? This yeah. is the spirit. So let me, I mean, does this spirit still, I mean, I have to say that one of the things, you know, I mean, you and Lafayette Lee, one of the things, one of the things I like, so much about your social media presence is, is that, you know, you guys remind me and lots of other people, I'm sure as well, that that spirit still does exist in America, that people still have confidence in our, people still have confidence in our country and believe our country is great. They're not full of despair. They're not worried that um, we're we're being, I mean, look, I mean, things are bad, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, there's, there's still a, a, a confidence that you exude in the country. So, do you think that spirit, that 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 plain spirit, is still is still with us? Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, I know it is. Uh, uh, I know it is. Yeah, I see it. Even when I was coaching wrestling, you, you you'll still uh, see it. Um, it. You don't have to be a rural kid. That's another thing people think I'm uh, getting at. But you know, some of these city kids at wrestling camps and mm-hmm. at wrestling tournaments are tough as nails you know just good old american kids and right. yeah i i think it is and and that people get hooked on that doomerism thing and it really yeah. drives me nuts I, like if you i mean <laughs> russia is supposedly the next greatest military power maybe china hmm. now but supposedly the next greatest mil- military power in the world and they're struggling with a country that's like the size of texas right, right. um to to act as if we are somehow on the precipice of of doom is just mm. silly. I, I mean, I sure wish we'd stop spending money, and I sure wish <laughs> yeah. we'd like yeah. lock no, right. the southern border down. Right. 
No, as I say, there are there are real problems, and people are right to be concerned that our leadership is 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 nuts and destructive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that uh, that America is doomed, you know. Right. And I also don't like the America is an idea crowd very much either. I know Lafayette right. really hates that, and but and yeah. I completely agree with him on 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 his takes there. But the American people. America is its people, I guess yeah. is what I would say, and and of course its borders, but, um, and I I think the American people are right. going to be fine. I, we're going to be fine. Uh, it could be a rough patch. That's great, right? But, I mean, we've been through rough. You know, I mean, some of the times I think, yeah, I mean, our well, for Pete's sake, I mean, the people who founded this country, they went through they went through some rough times, and yeah. this country has been through plenty of rough times. And I think, frankly, I think. Yeah, we're going through a hard time, and I don't mean to dismiss the people who are having it really hard with rising energy prices, with rising food prices. But we have a pretty good—I think we have a pretty good position from which to uh, push our country forward. Not not just save it, but make sure that it's as great as ever, even make it greater. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the what the, no, the food storages thing the. Um, I've, this is another thing I've been talking about for a couple of years. Um, it's there. It's going to get worse, and it, mm-hmm. it's going to last for five years. But mm-hmm. Americans are not going to starve. People in right. the world are going to starve, but it's not right. going to be Americans. So I think sometimes we, because we've allowed so much left, like leftism is so pervasive, like we've we've allowed it in. Like we see the world globally, even even those of us who think that we don't, you know, we, we right. think in global terms and like, we're going to be fine. Yes. People are going to starve, but they're not yeah. going to be people in San Diego. You know? Right. What, 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 but you think that the food issues will be, will get worse here. Do you mean that? Yeah. You, I mean, you're, you know, you, you're closer to this. Why? What's happening? Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, you know, there's nothing that shutdowns didn't, effect uh, right. and then energy inputs on the rise as you say is causing a lot of problems drought is causing a lot of problems hmm. um, friends a couple of friends down in Texas they have had uh, their drought in West Texas is so bad they've had like one inch of rain in the last 11 months or something <laughs> like that right. okay. so they're uh, they sold all their cattle off and have switched over to sheep and hmm. a lot of people are making moves like that right now Wow. Um, and so, yeah, for it, there's going to be a, a, a very real rejiggering of the American meat market over the oh. next five years. And Fascinating. Yeah. Small farms are going to take it the worst, um, mm-hmm. like always. But most of us believe that the government does that on purpose. And I, I'm right. one of those people. Um, you know, you just look at JBS getting busted price fixing again. You know, right. you get a freaking four million dollar fine or whatever it was. It's like give me a break. You know, right. um, so yeah, I do think that that food shortages will be be real and mm-hmm. food inflation will be real, right. um, and it will last unfortunately for probably half a decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you've got the whole thirty by thirty thing, which which I want to whine about all the time what um, is that no if you can explain that uh but still so biden it was, i think might have even been in his first eo that he signed hmm. uh he signed into into uh law this supposed conservation plan mm-hmm. and it comes it came from the the nature conservancy they don't even hide this the nature conservancy wrote the plan mm-hmm. and it the it's ostensibly the plan is to protect, which is an extremely vague word in governmental terms, um, to protect 30% of America's land and 30% of America's water by mm. the year 2030. But they also say in there that it's in by 2050, they would like it to be 50% of America's land and 50% of America's wow. water. Okay. And in the EO, they say that um, they're going to work with willing seller, basically the willing seller, willing buyer uh, model, which means the government is going to be competing 
uh, with ranchers and, and, and just citizenry for land purchases, which is absurd, you know, that because no one can outbid the government. Right. right? So, um, yeah, they're, they're planning to buy. Wow. Okay. I didn't know about this. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really big deal. I mean, the water one is out here. All of our crops survive on irrigation. Um, so you start talking about, you're going to take 50% of America or do something, you know, protect quote unquote, 50% of America's water. That's going to get some ears perked up, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, where does the doomerism, I mean, again, there are real concerns and we'll, we'll, and I'm going to let you go in a minute. I, I, I promised only to keep you for an hour and I get, I, I so much appreciate the time, oh, the yeah, time that you. you've shared so generously, but I just want to know, you know, to, yeah, as we're approaching Memorial day on Monday and there is lots to be grateful for and, and things to be worried about. Where does the doomerism come from? The people who are worried about the, yeah, we're, we're not just worried about the future of the country and the fate of the country, but but actually sometimes actively sped, spread fear about the fate of the country. Yeah, uh, my my friend described it to me once like mm-hmm. this. He said, you know how a dog will go get under the porch when a storm's coming? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, the dog doesn't know why he's under the porch. He just, he just knows he's supposed to, or he just feels like he needs to be under the porch, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of that has happened. People are, they're feeling there's some, I think we all are feeling that there is some sort of tidal shift happening in the country right right now. And there are people that take that as an opportunity to, or view that as an opportunity to um, uh, make things better or resist whichever needs to be done and then there are others who just go into full-on panic mode and i think a lot of people are the dog under the porch right now like if you ask them to explain why they felt so terrible their answers would would be kind of silly be like well look at how expensive everything is like yeah but i mean that doesn't mean your life is ending either right i mean i guess i guess to to be uh, you know to be general well not to be generous i mean to be realistic i mean i think in some ways that I mean, some of our officials, some of our, you know, corporate establishment, media, uh, academia. I mean, there is sort of a, there is a campaign of desecration. I mean, yes. right. A lot of the a lot of the symbols, a lot of the values, a lot of our monuments, large parts of our history. And it's all been endorsed by, you know, by prestige institutions. The New York Times is behind the 1619 project meant to eliminate American history. So. Yeah. I guess I can see it. And it's not, it's, it's, it's hard for people to stand up and stand up and to, to swing back around to the wind, but stand up in that windstorm and say, yeah, then they're going to keep throwing more garbage at us, but you know what? It's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And our, our mutual friend, Jesse Kelly, (coughs) he, he likes to call these people communists and I, I love that he does it. Some people get mad, but but I love that he does it because I think that it's, it's spot on. Uh, first of all, it pisses him off, which is just fine. But, but, um, but I think viewing them in that way is useful for people, you know, sort of quote unquote on our side, because all of their actions look very much like, uh, you know, some form of Leninism, Maoism, as you say, erase the erasure of American history is, um, as we know, uh, intentional, but, uh, the, I think the, the everyday American family is seeing through a lot of this stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're now I'm afraid of what it might look like in two generations if we don't fix the public school system. Um, but as far as like our generations go, I I don't think you're going to get as far I think that we're resistant enough to this stuff that I think we're going to be okay so long as we're still paying attention or so long as we start paying attention to it. Should have been paying right. attention to it a long time ago. Um, well, I'm, some of the thi- I mean, some of the things that have happened, I mean, have been terrible, but they've brought people's attention to real problems. And now, you know, and, and you know, God bless them. I mean, real Americans are dealing with it, you know, whether it's yeah. going to be 
you know, safety in schools. And I'm not just talking about active shooters, but we're talking about some of the teachers, unfortunately, and what they're doing to kids. So, and, you know, I, 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 I like to think that more Americans are becoming more and more aware of what's happening. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident too. And a lot of my friends think I'm nuts uh, or, or Pollyannish, but I don't know. Just that's, that's not how the course of this country goes. The course of this country is always reason for optimism, especially, you know, even when it's dark. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at the George Fentanyl riots, I mean, that turn the, the what? What did you call them? <laughs> George Fentanyl. Um, wow, I hadn't heard that. The, that's, the, that's wow. Uh, <laughs> the the you that's know a the, great, that's that's <laughs> classic. Uh, the uh, the average American uh, was more awakened by that uh, yeah. than anything I've seen in my lifetime, um, and it it's really profound because it's one of those deals where two things can be true at once, right? Like mm-hmm. um, you can't nail on some guy's neck for eight and a half minutes. And right. we were all, I think rightfully right. uh, mortified by this, but uh, that doesn't make this guy some sort of saintly figure. And the right. left has gone so hard on this that I just, you know, after the post riots and now they're erecting statues and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Bizarre. Right. Bizarre. <laughs> bizarre third world iconography yeah right yeah. it's in, it's absolutely back it's just crazy uh, um yeah. so i i think they're kind of um their own worst enemy and in some ways our best friend right now and so uh, that gives me a little bit of hope too yeah interesting well look i'm really looking forward to uh well we're gonna have you back on again and we definitely want you to talk about clubhouse more extensively and um but also i really i want to talk more about the more about your book on the uh on the plain spirit which is really fascinating and uh i'm looking forward to reading it too in the meantime braxton braxton mccoy man thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights um with us this uh for this memorial day show braxton god bless you and um thanks for reminding us that uh America is not just a great country, it's a big country, and uh, lots of people are out there fighting the good fight, and uh, you're, you're in front. So thanks so much, man. Have a great, blessed Memorial Day, and um, I'll be talking to you again soon, I hope. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, sir. Thank you. God bless, Lee. Thank you, Braxton. Bye. Bye.